Good morning. So we're going to continue in 1 John this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, uh, the ending of uh, chapter 5 and the ending of this letter, uh, looking at verses 18 through 21. And so we started in our study of 1 John on November 6, 2022. So during the uh, subsequent six months, uh, we've been exposed to the riches of teaching that uh, John enclosed in this relatively short letter that's only five chapters. And we've all found those that have brought messages and those that have heard them that John's, John's teaching has been uplifting, it's been convicting, uh, humbling, and excruciating at times when you look at it. John the Apostle loved, but he wrote a very powerful and strong uh, message and series of teachings and primarily his letter was written to uh, counteract the false teaching of the Gnostics. And we've talked about the Gnostics before, and they were uh, a group of false teachers that had infiltrated the church. So this letter was written almost 2,000 years ago, but we find it still to be very fresh and applicable to us. Uh, and that's the beauty and the power of God's holy scriptures the Holy Spirit working through men to teach us and grow us uh, in His Word. So as we approach the end of 1 John, we find there will still be some very challenging teaching in these few verses. As a matter of fact, when Owen asked me to bring this message, he probably thought I'd be wrapping up chapter 5. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I actually did too. I thought, well, these, this is only just a couple of verses and so I might even have time to do an introduction to Second John. Well, that was, that was not the way the message preparation went. And uh, that's the way it goes many times as you're preparing things, is you'll have an idea of what it's going to look like, and God will show you, no, I want something else taught. So, uh, oh, and there'll still be time for, uh, for someone else to work some more on chapter, chapter 5. And so... Uh, Today's expository message is going to be centered on a group of verses, or in this case, one verse in, uh, in 1 John, and they're presented in context. There's still uh, an opportunity for me to introduce errors because uh, I'm human and I'm not perfect. And so, as we've said many times before, please, please be uh, Bereans as you, uh, as you hear this message. And uh, in Acts, 10, Acts 17, sorry, verses 10 through 11, um, we hear the Bereans described. Uh, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So the Bereans, rather than being uh, condemned for being skeptics, were... Uh, praised for being uh, checking things. They fact-checked things. They examined the Scriptures, even though they were hearing sound teaching from Paul, they examined the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. And so we are to do the same. So let's look uh, at our passage in 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. I'll read these. Uh, this is from the New American Standard. We know that no one who has been born of God sins... But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. So before we go into the, uh, uh, the substance of today's study, let's consider the three we-know statements that are contained in this uh, closing section of John's letter. We see first in verse 18 that we know we are born of God. Uh, in verse 19, we are of God. And in verse 20, the Son of God has come. Uh, I looked at uh, commentary on this section of Scripture in Ellicott's commentary uh, he described these statements as summarizing Paul or you know, John's teaching in this letter. McLaren's commentary was more strongly descriptive, and he uh, called these three points as triumphant certainties. And so if you think about that, that's really appropriate. We're born of God, we are of God, and the Son of God has come. Those are certainly triumphant certainties, as uh, McLaren stated. So many commentators wrote extensively on this short passage of verses, uh, with one in particular building quite a long sermon. Um, so after reading through these exhaustive and exhausting commentaries, uh, I feel like a rookie worker trying to keep up with highly trained and skilled craftsmen as I stand here today. And, uh, but with the Spirit's leading, I'm going to do my best to explore these verses, and particularly verse 18. So we'll start with the first we know statement, which is contained in verse 18. We'll reread that verse. This is the first I know, or the first we know statement, 1 John 5.18. We know that no one who has been born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So this verse is uh, both difficult and it's complex, and it actually contains three, or contains three different thoughts and teachings you know, in this relatively short verse. And adding to the difficulty in understanding this verse is the way our different Bible versions translated this Greek text. And you might have noticed that as I was reading that. Your, uh, your particular Bible you're looking at might have had slightly different wording. So um, we're going to look at the, uh, the different phrasing contained in four different versions. The New American Standard Bible, the New King James Version, the English Standard Version, and the NIV and Nick uh, graciously agreed to put together a slide that has these uh, four verses in it. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to look at three different topics in these verses, and the first topic uh, is sin versus continuing in sin, and we're going to compare the uh, text and the four different versions to each other to help us uh, look at this a little bit more closely. So Nick, Nick has those up in, uh, in order, and so we're going to look, um, first of all, at this aspect of sin versus continuing in sin. And I think Nick has some highlighting to uh, point, those, point this as out. So we see in the New American Standard Bible the singular word of sins. Um, in the New King James Version, we see the word sin. However, when we go to the ESV, we see the wording changes to does not keep on sinning. And we see in the NIV, the wording is does not continue to sin. So there's a bit of a distinction or difference between how these uh, different versions looked at this, at this same word. And so we note that the New American Standard and the New King James 
each take the same approach in singling in on this word sin or sins. Um, however, it appears that the New American Standard uh, translators are not satisfied with this phrasing because they've added a footnote in the verse uh, right before sins, which if you look at the footnote, it says that or sins continually. So if we consider that both the uh, New American Standard and King James Version um, could actually be implying that sinless perfection is required on the part of believers. And that's pretty tough if you, if you think about that. As a matter of fact, it's so tough that it's impossible. Um, you know, the idea that no one, no one born of God sins. If that were the case, there's only one that could fulfill this requirement, and that's the Lord Jesus. Um, and so if we think that, uh, or consider that Jesus is the object of this verse, um, the beginning and the end of this verse fit, but the middle section is, is somewhat confusing. But let's put that aside and uh, look at the context. If we look at the context of the preceding verses, the verses that Owen was in last week, uh, they show that this is not about sinless perfection, but is rather about continuing in sin. And uh, this is how the text is presented earlier in 1 John. If you'd turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. 1 John 3, 9. And again, I'm reading for the New American Standard. No one who's been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. So we see in the immediate context of John and earlier in John that he's not talking about a single sin, but rather this idea of practicing sin. So for us, uh, maybe a, a simpler way of thinking of this would be a lawyer can be described as one who practices law. Now, that's what, they, that's what they engage in. But we do not want to be described as practicing sin. Um, that, is, uh, that is wrong, and that's, that's what this is teaching. Uh, if we continue living in unrepentant sin, this will result in death. And we find this in the verses Owen looked at with us last week in verses 16 and 17. So in this situation... It appears that the ESV and NIV concept of continuing in sin, the way they've worded this text, more closely matches the text of 1 John. And if we go into the Greek text, we find that's, uh, that's true as well. The Greek, uh, Greek text, the words used here are uh, ouch and harmantine, which tr- translated literally mean ouch means not, and harmantine means to continue in sin. So not continues to sin. So the wording is a little awkward, but you get the idea of what the Greek text intended. So it wasn't talking about a sin or or a group of sins. It was talking about continuing in sin. But uh, all this this focus on the aspect of of sin versus continuing in sin can really overshadow the point of this verse, which McLaren described as we're born of God. And... uh, this is a blessing, and uh, it's going to be symbolized by the activity after this service. Baptism does not save us, but it's symbolic of this being born of God. And that's what John is teaching about in here. 
Uh, and it also brings us to the second teaching in verse 18, the middle part that reads, He was born of God, keeps him. So again, if we refer back to the four parallel versions, uh, let's, let's take a look at those. And I think Nick has additional highlighting to pick up that second aspect. There we go. Thank you. So we see in the New American Standard, the word is he that's used and it's capitalized in the uh, in indicating that's of God. The New King James Version uses the lowercase version of he. The ESV uses the lowercase version of he. And the NIV substitutes a different word, the one. So let's, let's think about or consider uh, these four parallel versions. And we could look at this and say, well, maybe the New King James Version falls a little short on this verse and implies that this is a self-reliant process. If you uh, look at the wording again, as it says, he who has been born of God keeps himself. That almost sounds like it's talking about what I can do, what I can do with myself. I'm not sure... That's what they intended because uh, one of the things we need to keep in mind as you look at uh, different translations is the original King James Version, the approach was not to capitalize pronouns that referred to God. So in the ESV, as you can see, follows that same process too. They're not capitalizing uh, pronouns that refer to God as well. So that could be part of what's going on. And again, this is not to get us too far out in the weeds or to criticize translations. <laughs> but it would seem that the, uh, the other three translations are closer to the Greek text. And the Greek word that is used here that's translated he is actually ho, which uh, literally translated means the one. And so we can see, in this case, that's exactly the way the NIV translated that Greek word, the one. So it would seem that in this verse, uh, that John starts uh, the verse by referring to followers of Christ being born of God. And then secondly, he talks about uh, followers of Christ being born of God. And then secondly, the middle section referring to Jesus as being born of God if we look at it that way. Let's look at it in the NIV. The one, that would be Jesus, who was born of God, keeps them safe. And so you can see the active, active tense there is Jesus is, is engaging in the action. He's born of God and He keeps them. That's us, Christians, uh, followers of Christ. He keeps us safe. So let's move into the third section and final part of verse 18, which reads, the evil one does not touch him. And again, we'll look at the uh, four parallel versions to see how they, how they treat the end of verse 18. Thanks, Nick. So we see the NASB, King James Version, and ESV all use the same wording, not, does not touch him. We see it's identical. The NIV... Um, chooses a little bit different wording. It says, cannot harm them. So if we, uh, if we think about this, uh, that aspect of being untouchable, it would seem that maybe the NASB, King James, and ESV fall a little short in, uh, in how they translated that. Um, 
because it implies that we're untouchable. Like there's like we've done something where we where we can't be touched. Um, and that's a true statement if we ground ourselves in the context that we were being kept by Jesus. But if we think it's about some action of ours or something we've done, we fall way, we fall way short. Um, and the wording is, is actually incomplete. It doesn't cause us to envision that the evil one, that's Satan, that he can tempt us. But he can't lay hold of someone without God's permission. And we see this in Job chapter 3, verse 6. I'll read it for you. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. And so this is the, uh, the trials of Job and the first part of Job. Uh, Satan, Satan had been allowed to uh, test Job by taking away all his possessions, including his family. And now in this part of, this part of Job, Satan is allowed to uh, basically attack, attack Job, which is a scary thing when we think about it. So thankfully... Um, Job had to go through this um, uh, himself, and we haven't. And that's, that might sound kind of self-serving, but think of what a terrible thing it would be to, be, uh, to have uh, God to have, give uh, Satan permission to attack you directly. It's a scary thing. And so fortunately, if God were to allow that, it would be with his permission. It isn't something Satan can do. He can't just reach out and grab a hold of us um, if we're walking with Christ. So if we look at the Greek, te- Greek text here in this, the ending of verse 18, the Greek words uh, used here, once again, the word ouch, which means not, and a different word, haptotai, which means does touch. So literally translated, it mean, means does not touch. But there's further, there's more, more depth to that in that it's further used to mean I fasten to, I lay hold of, touch, or to know carnally. So there's a lot, there's a lot of depth to that particular Greek word. Um, so it would seem that the NIV in this case provides a clearer rendering of the Greek text by stating the evil one cannot harm them, rather than that aspect of touch, which, you know, what does, what does that mean, or what does that mean in our, in our present day? So when I started this message, you know, I hadn't planned to spend all of my time in verse 18, as I said earlier. I was looking forward to going through verses 19 through 20 and finishing with John's cryptic warning in verse 21, where he says, little children, guard yourself from idols. Um, however, this, today's message is really another example of the depth and power of John's teaching. So uh, as we stop for today, let's consider the value of using more than one Bible version when we study God's Word. And uh, I hope I didn't give the impression that the NIV is a superior Bible version. Uh, in this case, this verse we were looking at, their, goal, their stated goal, the NIV, is to provide an easy-to-read version, and it helped us to understand a difficult and complicated verse. Uh, However, there are other situations where the NIV's desire to be simple and avoid confusion falls short. Um, The NIV translators actually decided to eliminate 16 verses when they created the NIV uh, uh, version of the Bible. An example we find in Matthew 17, verse 21. Um, This verse reads, 
But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And when you look, when you look in the NIV, you'll see a blank where verse 21 would be. It just goes from verse 20 to 22. And you could look at that and say, well, why did they do that? And they didn't do that with evil intention, but rather their motivation was that this verse didn't appear in all the manuscripts. So they decided to leave this particular verse out. And so when we, uh, when we select a version of the Bible to, uh, for, us, for us to spend our time in studying and devoting and learning about God, we need to be careful and consider that and, and do that in prayer. There are options um, such as this, uh, this Bible. This is a comparative study Bible. It has the NIV, King James Version, the New American Standard, and the Amplified Bible and it puts them side by side. That is an option for you if you, if you wish to study God's Word in that way. Also, if you uh, use online tools, uh, Bible Hub, for instance, has a uh, parallel uh, section where you can look at multiple translations side by side in terms of looking at verses. So, I hope that today's message uh, also didn't... Uh, didn't sound like I was poking, taking shots at the King James Version of the Bible. That was not the intent. The intent was to show us that we really need to be cautious as we, as we study and to be, uh, use the tools that God has given us. I mean, because we're blessed. We have a lot of tools. Most of us have more than one Bible in our home. We have all kinds of online tools we can use when we study. So I hope today's message helped to demonstrate that no translation or version is perfect, just as no speaker or teacher is perfect, but we need to be Bereans and we need to have the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Bible, lead us when we study in God's Word. Lord, we thank you for this time we had in your Word today and just this uh, verse that we looked at in 1 John, Lord, just the power of it. As uh, McLaren said, these triumphant certainties that you give us in this verse, Lord, that we are, we are of you, we're born of you. Jesus Christ is protecting us, and we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these certainties. Thank you for Jesus Christ going to the cross and paying the price we couldn't pay uh, for uh, lifting that weight off our shoulders, Lord, for leading us, for teaching us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit writing the Bible through these different men and uh, preserving this for us, Lord, and preserving it in many different ways, these ancient texts up to the more modern texts, Lord. Just help us as we study to be diligent, to be Bereans as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.